No, I like having things spoiled for me. Like, I have read all of the recaps of the White Lotus season finale, and I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch that season finale still. I just know what's going to happen. And so, I mean, it lets you appreciate things. Like, you can see the things the director has done to kind of lead you up to that moment. What, you know, where are the red herrings? Where are the, the clues? Um, I just like being able to see the full picture. There's nothing wrong with that. I just think sometimes it's part of the enjoy experience. Part of the joy of the experience of watching something and is that you can cede control a little bit, and you can cede control in a safe way. You know, you you're mm. giving you're giving yourself up to to the whims of the director. He or she is taking you where they're going, and you don't know where that is. And for the hour, ninety minutes, two hours, you're you're you know in their in their spell. You're you're not in control, and I like that. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe I should uh, learn to surrender a bit, but maybe not because this is just what I like, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, but also yeah, you should learn to surrender a bit. Matt. <laughs> Hello. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing okay. We're pretending like we didn't just have a conversation about how we're doing today. <laughs> we already know how we're doing today. Anyway, dear listeners, welcome back to The Spat. It's episode two. Um, this is a podcast where we, Nina and Jack, married people, argue about culture. I'm Nina. I'm a writer and type of person who likes to do many tasks while watching TV, watching a movie, etc. Who are you? I'm Jack. I'm also a writer among other things, and I require zero distraction and maximum attention paid to anything I'm consuming, regardless of the quality of that thing, is how I would describe it. Mm -hmm. How um, are you feeling, Jack? It's episode two. We just finished making episode one. Feeling uh, excited, feeling mm -hmm. still a little apprehensive that all of our friends are going to start finding excuses to not hang out with us because we've started a podcast. Um, <laughs> I also feel proud because I put a lot of work into the branding, for lack of a better word, and editing yeah. behind the podcast. So, you know, I'm invested now, but I had a good time talking to you last week. Um, and oh, I, think it's, <laughs> I don't mean just talking to you. I mean, I always have a good time talking to you. I just mean I had a good time doing this with you last week so i think that bodes well because okay. as you as you can imagine dear listeners sometimes you know we don't always enjoy doing things with each other right we each have our, we each have our own interests and sometimes those interests don't cross but you know it's it's nice to realize that this is still this is a nice shared interest so yeah when i don't like something i just fall asleep so or you, or you leave yeah. yeah i just disengage completely um I also wanted to say, I think it was a bit of a nice transition from maybe more serious movies or, or mm -hmm. conversation kind of in the first episode about Inception of Paprika. It was a nice transition from that to the kind of like steamy, s slightly corny landscape of Outlander for this week. Very true. Um... How are you? How are you feeling about? The podcast? <laughs> I'm feeling good. I 
really like our logo that you designed, but I you found the, with. You I found the find, photos. Yeah, I found the excellent drawing. Um, awesome. What is our drawing of? Moles. It's of moles. Two moles. Moles looking like they have they have no time for you. That's what they look like. Yeah, or each other. They look like moles in an argument, which seems like a perfect encapsulation of the vibe that of, we have. Of a spat. I mean... Yeah, they're moles in a spat. They're moles in a spat, maybe. And this podcast is maybe a half-joking extended small argument. Yes. Also, moles are an inside joke between us because of our shared love of Guillermo del Toro's um, Tales of Arcadia series, where moles are the mascot for the high school in that show, which is another great show. If you're looking for something to watch, we recommend that, um, especially Troll Hunters. We can't reveal all of our adolescent watching habits on this show. Why not? We have to, we have to remain cool, cool for, for the, the hundreds of thousands of people eagerly tuning in. Okay, well, do you know what's not cool? Spinning their radio cool? dials. What? Do you know what is, in fact, quite steamy and maybe even hot, warm? Outlander! Whoa, what is What segue. we're talking about today. <laughs> that was an A-plus segue, Crumbs. Oh, thank you very much. Um, Jack, can you tell us in broad strokes what you think Outlander is? Outlander is... It's a romance. I, I don't think I realized that as fully the first time I saw it, but it is like, it has all of the trappings of someone's kind of fantasy mm -hmm. written all over it. Um, you know, however, it sets itself apart from other romances in that it's very well written and, and researched. Um, and so you believe the characters. Uh -huh. Yeah. Is that so? What What is Outlander? Outlander is... Scott's <laughs> Scott's traveling through time and no what okay let me tell you as a true fan the Scots do not travel through time Claire is British and she travels through time to the Scots but the Scots never travel through time maybe okay Outlander is a series of books written by a woman named Diana Gabaldon that follows a woman named Claire um Beecham, Fraser, Randall, at various points, her last name changes through the books. Um, but a woman named Claire, who's a nurse in 1945, World War II has just ended. She's trying to kind of rekindle things with her husband, Frank Randall. Um, they go on a mini honeymoon to Scotland, and while they're there, some weird magic ensues, and she falls through a rock into the 1700s where the Jacobite Rebellion is in full swing. And while she's there, she falls in love with a man named Jamie. And this week we watched the TV adaptation of these books. Um, there are several seasons. We didn't watch all the seasons. We just watched the first three episodes of season one. I thought of a better way to describe Outlander. <laughs> what is it? Outlander is a steamy show about bigamy. Ah, it is very concerned with bigamy. There's a lot of like anxiety about how many people can you be it's, married to. It's like the smear campaign in the election between John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson. Where <laughs> bigamy what? was a contentious point. It is exactly the same as that historical event. 
Um, would you consider it infidelity if I fell through a rock and ended up somewhere, uh, I guess 300 years ago? 200 years ago? So it would be what? It would be like, I can't do math, 18 something? Um, and then I, out of a sense of survivalist necessity, had to marry a dashing Scotsman and then fell in love and we got married in the 1800s and I came back to you and I was like, so sorry, I was married again. What would you say? I think it meets every definition of being unfaithful if you do that, yes. <laughs> so you would be upset is what you're saying? Of course I'd be upset. Would I understand? Probably, yeah, it takes some time. It's like not a standard, uh, in, you know, infidelity narrative, <laughs> of course. That's true. And you certainly, you know, as, as Outlander goes to show, she's put in situations, you know, I think by design that make it difficult for her to not cheat on her husband ultimately. So, yeah, I mean, it's not giving so much away, but she doesn't marry Jamie in the first season because she just really wants to marry him. There's like a outstanding circumstance that makes yeah, it like, such that she must marry him. She marries him to save his life. Right. Yeah. Like the tagline, uh, is it his life or her life? I don't remember. We didn't get to that episode, but the, the tagline could also be like, the 1700s, they sucked for women, is another way to think about the show. Yeah. Another way to describe Outlander is doing medicine with plants. Yes. Very true. It's like medical. really, yeah. Medical Mysteries, mm -hmm. Scottish Highlands edition. You know, it's <laughs> also a foundational part of the show. Also, yeah. also, a lot of uh, corset ripping. Yeah, we didn't really get to that part of the show. The sex part? Yeah, because, I mean, if you're going to watch Outlander and you're looking for the sexy bits, I think it's like episode five and onward, because that's when they get married. Um, there's like a little bit of sexiness in episode one, but it doesn't really, really get going until much later in the show yeah because i mean again it, yeah because the fun the, the the biggest um sorry i'm looking at it's the election of 1828 is the big okay. election anyway. <laughs> um okay uh yeah because the the big relationship of the first season is is claire coming to terms with the fact that she's in love with two men mm -hmm. can i ask a question why uh yes. why did you choose this for this week as a um, what was the transition from like you know, quote unquote cinema to prestige television. Right. Well, part of it was because I wanted to talk about rewatching, which I guess we'll get to a little bit later. But also the other part of it is because I am something of a raccoon digging through the trash when it comes to my media diet. And I have no qualms or even really any kind of discernment when it comes to like what is elite and what is pulpy and what is i don't know acceptable and what is cool so i think i just wanted to like immediately off the get-go establish the range of things we would talk about as being inclusive of things that aren't particularly critically acclaimed although i guess maybe outlander season one was critically acclaimed i don't know i didn't watch it when it aired outlander is an interesting choice because yes it's certainly more like i mean I like that we're establishing that we are going to talk about a wide range of different types of media, not just quote unquote mm -hmm. critically acclaimed things. 
will point out that the the first three things we've chosen to talk about have all been both popular and critically acclaimed. <laughs> um, but I think it's good precedent. Yeah, I guess I should also say, like, I read the books before I watched the show. I read them in, like, an enormous hurry. I read the first book. Giant and then, gulps. Yeah, I, these books are also, like, six to 700 pages long. They're really long. They're these, like, little tiny stacks. Um, but I was working at Harvard. I was really stressed out because I was working at Harvard. I was really tired of things that were, like, quote-unquote good and I wanted something that you know I wouldn't be able to tell my boss that I was reading and she would understand which is kind of how I got into it um and then I read like all eight books I think the ninth book is coming out in a month um in like the span of three months um I remember specifically having I think the fourth book on hold at the library and not being able to feeling like I couldn't wait for the five days to be up before the book would come back so I just went to the bookstore and bought it I remember that um yeah uh further evidence folks of Nina's just blistering reading pace it's pretty incredible to witness Um, because those books these books are not short they are very very big I mean, they're not hard to get through either. They're like, you know, they're escapism. It's historical fiction with a lot of steamy sex. There's, I think, way more sex in the books than there is in the show, which makes sense. Like, you don't have any censorship types of things you have to worry about. Um, but also, the thing that I actually really like or find, not even like, because there's a lot about Outlander not to like. Like, there's a lot of very strange race stuff that happens once they get to America during the revolution. Um, but... Yeah, and Diana Gabaldon obviously has some very, like, problematic views, in my opinion, or problematic fantasies. I don't really know if we can say fantasy is problematic. But anyway, there's, like, some weird stuff involving rape as well that kind of gets played throughout the series. Um, Beyond that, though, I'm really interested in all the survivalism, which you talked a little bit about. It's like, Uh, yes, this started the the day. Right, this started the, the phase where Nina was, like, kind of very interested in making sure that we as a household were able to survive, you know, off the, <laughs> off the fat of the land, you know, given some sort of catastrophe. And I we lived in Boston at the time, and I distinctly remember Nina coming home and asking me if I would let her build a snare and snare a bunny rabbit at the local park, which was a, around a giant reservoir. And not only is that illegal, uh, it's mean. It's so not I said, mean. No. Sure it is. We would have eaten it. We couldn't have eaten it. No, we wouldn't have. It would have been full of disease. Wouldn't have gotten a lot of meat. Okay. Well, and listen, I have, we would have read all the things. been haunted by the bunny carcass. Okay, well, if you got catapulted back into Jacobite rebellion times, what would you have done in society? I don't know, skated on my, on my even more powerful privilege at that point in time and tried not to speak in, and try not to speak in slang. Because that would immediately identify me as somebody who comes from a different time. Yeah, there's um. Never mind. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you can cut this, but there's a really funny sequence in later. I think they do it in the TV show too, but it's definitely in the books. In the first season and the first book, where Claire says the word "fuck" and Jamie doesn't know what that means, and she has to teach him. <laughs> um, that would be anyway, me. that'd be the first episode. Right. 
I mean, you just get struck by the fact that, like, you are not going to, you have nothing to contribute to a society like that. That's true. I would, I would be like, I could write, I could, I could sing. They're like, great, sing us a song in Gaelic. And I'd be like, Loch Lomond. I'd be all like, no, until I would know. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, I have nothing. I have nothing to offer. I could, you know, I was thinking, I was like, I could be like a scribe or something. <laughs> um, but I don't know how to read or write the language of that time. So what I came to during English? this time where yeah, I was... You do. Uh, I don't really think English was the English we speak now back then. Do you? No, but like you could be understood. I think I? I think in terms of being a scribe, that wouldn't be the worst fit. Also, you definitely have more skills than I, like hard skills than I do. Uh, you can, you know what plants look like, and what they do. So somewhat, do you. Way more than me. You can cook better than I can, and you can cook impro improvisationally. I am a I, I'm a uh, I de desperately need a recipe, or to true to make a successful dish. Um, you can speak to animals. Just kidding can't do that i did believe that i could when i was a child that was that you. was a tamora pierce phase no but this is what i came to <laughs> no i, you I understand I decided that i would be happy being a goat herd um so i did a lot of research during this period of my life where i was reading outlander about how to like birth a goat and how to card wool from a goat and how to shear a goat and i never did anything of this nature actually but i just read a lot and watched a lot of videos um and i would come home from work and i would tell jack and you were subject to my incessant prattling about goat birth wasn't there a celebrity profile around this time where yes subject um ezra ezra it, i feel like it was gq and ezra miller they ezra miller Right, Ezra Miller lives on a goat farm in Vermont. Vermont? Somewhere like that. Yeah, Ezra Miller was being profiled, and they are a eccentric, interesting, um, kind of non-conforming person. And in the middle of this feature interview profile, they, like, help their goat deliver its kid, which See, that's corresponded just, that with, sounds... our, with your Outlander, initial Outlander experience. Yeah. Um, so on that note, what did you think of Outlander? Um, I, I'm a sucker for like pure plot and, uh, wholesome courtship narratives, which despite being like the whole first, it's, it's like, will they, won't they for the whole first season. And then they're forced to because of external circumstances. And it's clear that they have feelings for each other because they're both beautiful people. And there's lots of like long, meaningful gazes throughout the initial episodes. And, you know, she's his, she's his caregiver and he's like, he reveals himself to be a sensitive, strong man. I just, uh, so I, you know, I, uh, I like character driven historical dramas. Mm -hmm. Sue me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sue me. Um, so I really enjoyed watching it. I, I kind of been bummed. We only chose the first three episodes to talk about because it's, it's kind of starts picking up steam. Like immediately. You can keep watching it. I probably will. Um, <laughs> I wrote down some thoughts. The first thing I wrote down was in all in big bold letters with a lot of exclamation points. Shoes on the bed, because there's that scene in the yes. like the first twenty minutes of the first episode where Claire and her husband um, Frank, played by Tobias Menzies, love, uh, are trying to like rekindle their 
marriage because they've been they've been at war in different places during World War II for five years. Um, and so she like starts jumping on the bed, but they fucking start jumping on the bed with their shoes on. Yeah. Which. It's not good. What? Listen, it's yeah, I know. I mean, obviously, growing up in a Japanese household with a Japanese mindset, being a Japanese person, shoes in the house already disgusting. Um, but shoes in a bed, I just right. I didn't grow up in a Japanese household, which is, I know, a very surprising thing for our listeners. But even for a a suburban Chicago kid, we never would have jumped on a bed with shoes on. Like, Yeah. I don't know, man. So I I thought about that for a while during the first episode. I also loved the, like, having watched before, when you watch it again, there's some very obvious, like interests the characters have that are clearly there purely to advance the plot like frank's walking around they're walking around this inverness town in highlands of scotland and just talking about their recent interests and frank's like ah, i've suddenly developed an interest in ge- genealogy and claire's like i'm interested in botany and it's like huh well why though is it because, <laughs> is it because when Claire travels back in time, she's going to come in contact with some of Frank Randall's ancestors, and it's important for the show that we know who they are and how they're connected to them? And also, is it important for the show that she knows how to use plants to keep people from dying? So that kind of stuff is just funny to realize. Um, yeah. Yeah. How, did, how about you? What about you? What did you? What were some of your, your immediate takeaways from the first couple episodes? Well, I should say this is my third time through, I think. Um, I'm not going to keep watching because I have kept watching before twice, so <laughs> don't need to see it again. Um, but I was, you know, from a critical perspective, much love to Catriona Balfe, the woman who plays Claire, but I was like, this is not great acting. Um, or maybe, like, it's just the acting of, like a romance show this kind of like fuzzy lighting that makes everything sort of glowy and and the kind of extremely expressive gesturing that has to happen um i'm thinking in particularly the sequence when she falls through the rock and she's in you know the jacobite rebellion times and she meets jamie for the first time and jamie is hurt and she's like what are you doing you can't ride a horse like this um and just all the hair tossing and the brow furrowing. Yeah, it's super melodramatic. Yeah. Very, very not subtle. <laughs> yeah, but no one's watching Outlander for it to be subtle. Like, it's literally about a woman who travels through time and can can cosplay being a, a nurse in the Jacobite Rebellion. Like, Well, she is a nurse. I know, but can cosplay being a 17th century nurse. Yeah, I mean, is she a nurse or a witch in that era? Who really knows? Yeah. Um relevant to our times i was thinking as i was watching this about uh a scene in book two where she goes to france and there's a smallpox outbreak in a port town and everyone is amazed because she can walk through the smallpox outbreak and not catch it because she's been vaccinated um which is our plug to everyone please get the COVID 19 vaccine Yay! Um, any other thoughts about Outlander? Um, I, I just to your point about like how melodramatic it is. I for I mean, 
I think I'm always expecting to kind of be turned off by that because it takes mm -hmm. away the believability a little bit, you know, but mm -hmm. once you buy into it, I don't know. And I'm kind of a sucker for it. Like there's this show Poldark on Masterpiece mm -hmm. PBS that's like super, super melodramatic and like that's set in a similar time, a little bit later, early after the, after the Revolutionary War. So, um, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of hair tossing and you know he falls in love with uh, someone who's below his station and high, you know all sorts of drama ensues um or like even Downton Abbey you know if you once you like kind yeah. of once you kind of kind of like let yourself click into the rhythm of of how ridiculous they sound and on and are both as a symptom of like the historical moment they're trying to show on screen and just because of the soap opera-ness of it all i don't know you can kind of, you can kind of get born away by it yeah that's true i mean it's it's fantasy it's supposed to be escapism we're supposed to it's not about like believability it's not about subtlety it's about total buy-in and total you know i don't know i don't know what the word is i'm looking for the thing that i keep thinking about was like totally drowning in thing yeah you're um, all you go you have to be you have to be all in it's all or nothing it's not uh yeah it's not possible to watch this show by half measures you have to be all in which is interesting for so it's interesting actually as we're talking about this because we've, we've mentioned twice now that you're the kind of viewer who can kind of like do other things while they're watching mm -hmm. but we've also just agreed that this show is requires kind of you know fully buying into so are you able to I mean, you already said, like, you, you couldn't wait to the five days to get the book from the library. So it sounds like you kind of consumed this in a, like, fully focused way. Is that true? Or is this also a show that was on in the background while you were folding clothes or cooking or whatever? Well, the books I did consume completely, totally, just, no me como, what's the word I'm trying to think of here? I, you know, completely transfixed by, I didn't. I didn't do anything else. I didn't read anything else. I, like, didn't make plans at night. I just read these books. That was how it went. Um, for the show, I definitely did other things while I was watching it. Just because the other claim that I make whenever I multitask is that most television is not so complicated that you can't leave to go to the bathroom and come back and not know what's happening. I feel like you could leave for 10 minutes and come back and like basically piece together what just happened. There's no moment of like, what? Wait, what? Somebody um, set the horse's leg. Oh no, it's the British. Right. It, Disease. That's basically it. So it's not hard to like leave. A lot of skin. Back. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of skin. A lot of skin. Um, yeah, I think. Okay, I, I hear you. Also, I just remember I was trying to... Maybe we, I shouldn't say this, I don't know. I was trying to piece together like multiple free stars trials and to watch the show. <laughs> um, and eventually I had to give up and just like pay for it for two months. I remember coming to you and being like, I think I have to pay for this. And you being like, that's okay. Um, but I also remember being like distracted by the logistics of watching it. This is the revelation. This is the Revelation episode. You learn about Nina's murderous tendencies towards local Lapine populations. And you've heard that she takes advantage of free trials. Uh. <laughs> Listen, I, think, I had 
I think you're the only person who does that. Gave me like two weeks. I don't know. I was trying to watch multiple seasons of TV and got a whole Google Doc full of different emails that you can use. (laughs) I don't have that. I don't. She does, everybody. Um, She's got many emails. No, I don't. Stop. I don't have that. FBI. Uh, Hello. Well, okay. How about you talk about the first time you watched this because this is also very much for you. The first time I watched it was like over your shoulder. And it would right. be the, it'd be the standard pattern where like I'd walk into the room and I knew you were watching the show. And our first apartment after we got married was like a sh- very small. It was the size of uh, of you know maybe one bedroom. We lived in thing. a studio. We lived in a studio yeah. apartment. I guess that's so. There's only one room. Right yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes, we lived in a studio apartment in Boston. Studio apartment in Boston, very small. Um, and so, you know, if someone's watching TV, you are aware of what they're watching. And I did my thing where I come in and I'm not intending to stay, but I catch a glimpse of the drama on screen and immediately drag in. And so would like be standing, do, doing the thing I do where I stand like half in the room, half out of the room, like mouth open, just watching <laughs> what's happening on screen. So that's what I remember as the first time watching it. And then, you know, I think you could tell that I was interested because as i've already described it does hit a bunch of sweet spots for me um and so we would watch it together i think i watched actually most of the first season yeah i think we watched all of the first season together um yeah i really you know i know that the premise of this is that we're arguing but i have to say i do love that about you which is that you're really annoying and kind of elitist at the outset of things um, but then once I turn it on and I'm like, you don't have to watch, you can go somewhere else if you want to, you just end up staying and then you get as invested, maybe even more so than me. Um, so I like that, like, you have a, like a fast melting elitism. Yeah, because I'm, I'm not an elite. I'm, I'm like just a dude, but I, I have aspirations. So it's easy for them to melt. What? I mean, Outlander is aspirational in some way. Like, don't we all listen, want to be titillated? Listen, here's my here's where I come down on this. I think it's bad form to be elitist in general. I think it makes you unpleasant to be around. And I think it limits the scope of what you consume. Often, it mm-hmm. means you consume exclusively white things. White-made, right. white-focused things. Not because those things are elite, but just because they're given that status in exactly, society. Exactly. Um, that said, I think there are still like markers by which we can measure how effective something is, how well done something is, you know? And so I try to balance the understanding that good is relative and subjective and dependent on a lot of different things, while also recognizing that I have a limited amount of time and so want to spend it watching something that I enjoy, you know? And I think you've done a lot to help me broaden my horizons. And I've certainly had to do some work on my own. And I'm still doing it and will continue to because that's how this works. But that's that's like the balance I try to strike. You know, Not being a dick, but also not wasting my time. <laughs> maybe this maybe the yeah. maybe this equation just means I'm a dick. I don't know. Although one of my new favorite ways that you engage in the stuff that I'm watching even if you initially said you didn't want to watch it um I think this happened the last time I was watching Love Island where you walk in the room and you're like oh you're watching this I don't want to watch this I'm going to go into my room I'm just going to write or read or something and then I'll be watching it and then you'll come out with your headphones on you're like I heard something what was that and then you stand in the corner 
and watch it for a while, and then you go back, and then you hear something again that makes you interested, and you come back out. Um, I do like that. I think it's fun. So, I sound insane. I sound like you don't. I sound like a ghost in your house. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's my reveal. This episode is that you are real. You're corporeal. Um, that's confusing. That's right. I'm incorporeal. Incorporeal? Incorporeal? Corporeal? Yeah. What? Corporeal means you have a body. Incorporeal means you don't. Um, let's talk about rewatch. Are you someone who likes to rewatch or reread things? Yes or no? That's an interesting question. I used to reread a lot of things as a kid. I reread less things now. I think because it's just more, it takes more of an effort for me to get through books written for adults. <laughs> um, and so like, I'll maybe go back and reread stories, short stories, or I'll go back and reread parts of the book I like, but I don't really, I'm not picking up a book thinking that it's going to have like reread value. I, I just read it because I want to read it. TV and movies, I think I'm more inclined to. Um, maybe because the initial investment's a little bit lower in terms of time. Um, I do generally have to wait a while though before I can jump back into a show or a movie. Um, but like, I there, there are movies from growing up that I'll, I, I would I like rewatching, you know, I like action movies. Those, those like for some reason are consistently entertaining to me, even though I've, I know all the ins and outs of the plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I will say the experience of rewatching Outlander has alerted me to, you know, I'm, I'm, I think for some reason, I think I'm watching it closer because I know what happens, and so I'm, I'm able to pick out some details or pick out some decisions that I probably I, I couldn't see before, which, which is good. I mean, I think if you're reviewing something, I think you should absolutely watch it more than once. But, um, I mean, that's my opinion. How about you? What do you think about rewatching? One of the reasons why I chose this is because I want to talk about rewatching and rereading because I'm a huge proponent fan of consuming the same thing over and over again. Um, because I think for me, sometimes when I get to the point where it's like the end of the day and I'm about to, you know, unwind and watch TV or whatever, I just am looking for something that's going to comfort me or like scratch a certain itch. And I don't necessarily really want to start something new and feel disappointed. Um, so I do a lot of rewatching. Um, I think I've, you know, last year I rewatched Succession and that was an experience where you were like, no, I don't want to do this. And then you kept coming back into the room and eventually you just rewatched the second season with me. Um, <laughs> I have like rewatched. <laughs> I've rewatched Sharon Horgan and Rob Delaney's show Catastrophe, I think, three full times. Um, but that's because I think that's perfect and I love that show so much. Yeah, this the third um, time you rewatched it, I was all in. I think we decided together to yeah, rewatch it. So to rewatch it. I mean it was like height of twenty twenty lockdown time. Yeah. I think we were really craving like something comforting and hilarious. Um I you know, I view all of the Miyazaki movies in that way. Studio Ghibli films, they're like old books to take down from a shelf. There are a few that I haven't seen, but most of them I've seen. Um, yeah, and I think I watched Outlander the first time, kind of in that strange haze, 
where I was trying to piece together Star's Trials. Um, but then the second time it was all on Netflix, so I just like watched it again. Um, also, the thing you said about rewatching things and then being more aware of what's going on because you're not so focused on plot, um, that's my argument for why people should read spoilers. I guess it's, it's actually an interesting point. I mean, I think, I think it's a moral failing to read spoilers. You hate it. You hate that I do that. I think it means you don't like spontaneity or joy, frankly. But I also think it's an interesting comparison to draw between spoilers and rewatching because, I don't know, I feel like it's different because with a spoiler, you haven't experienced the thing. You have experienced somebody else's summary of the thing and then use that that and then that inevitably informs how you receive it when you watch it whereas rewatching, you yourself received the information before and are using that so i just feel like it's pure <laughs> i mean i don't know about pure it's a little different but Such i just an think elitist. i love knowing what's gonna happen spoken like a true virgo no voice. let's yeah um, let's let's dig into this why so here's well, an here's a question. I'm anxious. <laughs> well, fine. I mean, me too. But here's a better question. Then, has there been has there been a time where you have not known what's going to happen in a movie, and have been glad that you didn't know before you watched it, a movie or book yes. or television or whatever? Yes. Before I left, we watched Fast and Furious, the first movie, and I had no clue that Paul Walker, what's his name? The character's name is that the character's name or the actor's name? The actor's name is Paul Paul Walker. Okay, well, Paul Walker's character was a cop. Like I watched the first thirty minutes of that movie fully engrossed, and then he walks into like the undercover cop station, and I was so mind blown. Um, <laughs> I just remember physically gasping. Like, <gasps> what? The movie. What's happening? Too fast and too furious for you. Yeah, that was a really. Surprise, surprise enjoyment. Really liked that movie. Thanks to E-Viewings watching that we ended up watching. That, that was an inspiration, yeah. We still yeah. have to watch the rest of them. Um, we do. Okay. That's interesting. So doesn't that mean that you may, maybe just would enjoy not having things spoiled in general? If you... No, I like having things spoiled for me. Like, I have read all of the recaps of the White Lotus season finale... And I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch that season finale still. I just know what's going to happen. And so, I mean, it lets you appreciate things. Like, you can see the things the director has done to kind of lead you up to that moment. What, you know, where are the red herrings? Where are the, the clues? Um, I just like being able to see the full picture. There's nothing wrong with that. I just think sometimes it's part of the enjoy experience. The, part of the joy of the experience of watching something and is that you can cede control a little bit and you can cede control in a safe way you know you you're mm. giving you're giving yourself up to to the whims of the director he, he or she is taking you where they're going and you don't know where that is and for the hour 90 minutes two hours you're you're you know in their in their spell you're you're not in control and i like that yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I should uh, learn to surrender a bit, but maybe not because this is just what I like and that's okay. <laughs> that's fair. But also, yeah, you should learn to surrender a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but a rewatch that I really enjoyed recently is last Christmas 
thanks to the pandemic and all the reasons that we had to basically kind of be isolated, we rewatched all the Lord of the Rings movies. And that was super fun. Perfect. Yeah. Those those have endless rewatch rewatch value, I think. I don't know about that, but it's fun to rewatch all something right, see that ya. is really It's been fun talking. <laughs> I mean, okay. Just kidding. I don't know if it's endless. I think they have a couple rewatches in them. But, you know, that movie, those movies for me are so connected to, like, a sense of joy and wonder, particularly with my sister. Mm. Um, like, begging to watch them in 20-minute increments after dinner when we were, I was in middle school and she was in elementary school. And then we would go outside and pretend to be um, Aragorn's daughter and Legolas's daughter, the way that we played. Um, but Truly the fourth age come fun. to pass. Yeah, we, it was Lord of the Rings Next Generation. Um, but we, you know, it's fun to watch that with someone else because now you, you have your own base of enjoyment and then you get to kind of like have it coincide with someone else's base of enjoyment and you both have your enthusiasm and now there's a new enthusiasm. I really enjoyed my realization this time around while watching it with you, while watching Lord of the Rings with you, that Legolas is essentially useless. Um, he doesn't do anything. Legolas, what's your alpha IC? Taking the hobbits to Heisengard. Um, yeah, he's a bit of a pretty boy in the uh, in the movies. Sorry to Orlando Bloom. But in the books, he's has more value, I guess. He's just he's just the elf representation, you know. Got to always got to have an elf. Do we though? Do we always gotta? It's a relevant question. I promised the people that I would do a Scottish accent. Yes. I will. Want to try? I mean, I promised nobody. I promised. I promised basically promised myself me. because I was talking yeah. just to myself when I was recording it, which is, I guess, yeah. is what a podcast is. You know, we are just talking to mm -hmm. ourselves, and maybe people will. Listen. We are. Yeah. Um. Well, actually, before I do that, did you know that Diana Gab Gabaldon is a libertarian? Gabaldon. Uh, yeah. So she's like extremely problematic. She's a libertarian. She's super catholic um which i think you probably go, uh i maybe in the first three episodes you don't see it no, it becomes it. very prominent yeah it, it that whole theme becomes way more prominent through the books actually right now because i'm in need of a comfort read i um downloaded the the fourth book on the libby app and or the third book the third book on the libby app and there's like a whole scene that involves adoration um but Regardless, uh, she is a libertarian, extremely Catholic. She is a plant biologist, thus all the botany. Um, Diana Gab Gabaldon is a libertarian. Yes. And you and I, I, I am often disdainful of that political persuasion because to me it screams of somebody who like just hasn't grown up. I don't up, want rules! Hasn't grown up. Ah! Yeah. Are yeah. you four? Like... You have to, sometimes you, you, you can't do everything you want. Um, so, you know, and I think there are some examples in our current politics of people who are libertarians who've, you know, not helped our country. So mm -hmm. that, there, there's that. But also the thing I'm interested in here is like, does that come through in this, in the, at least the first three episodes of this show? Like, obviously we're supposed to, we're supposed to identify with the Scots, right? The oppressed people who yes. have been who have you know been subject to british colonial rule and invasion and imperialism etc yes. yes um you know so there is like this there is this strain of like you know the british are stamping on our rights 
which I guess is true. And so in that regard, I can see, you know, it's, it's similar to like the people who adopt the don't tread on me flag as a current marker of our political, of their political persuasion, despite that being mm -hmm. something that was very contextualized by the Revolutionary War. So maybe she's like making a libertarian stance because of the, the British shouldn't tell us what to do. Uh, yeah. Or am I, I reading too much that... into it? No, I don't think you're reading too much into it. I want to point out that actually the first book was written or published in 1991. Um, and it took a while for them to like reach this popularity, which is to say I have the feeling that she was politicized later in her life. Um, I might be wrong about that. Uh, I do think that there is some of that like down with the established government thing going on in the first three episodes certainly it becomes a huge theme in the revolutionary war period books um a lot of like hemming and hawing about taxes um which is i don't know fun i guess um yeah i mean if you keep watching the show if you end up reading the books as you'll see there's some real not great politics and race moments in these books um yeah i don't know i don't know that i would necessarily recommend them i think i sort of consume them like despite myself yeah I mean, that's fair i mean we all consume things that are imperfect and i think part of the rewatch re the experience of rewatching things can maybe help alert you to aspects of something of a show that are problematic that you yeah. didn't realize before or mm -hmm. or not even you know problematic because we use it so much it doesn't even have a meaning anymore so more like can alert you to aspects of a show that are worth focusing on or cause you to say hmm this is this makes me feel complicated this makes me feel uh conflicted etc yeah or like aspects of something not even just a show but like a film or a book where you might have loved it at some era of your life and now you're like you know what i don't have a use for this anymore right um yeah i don't really want to get into the harry potter thing but maybe harry potter sure i mean those are just those that's just more complicated by the fact that we all grew up with them so it's not even just the their literary merit it's that yeah. they're tied to like formative life experiences sure but we don't have to keep giving her royalties i guess yeah, plus she sucks, so, you know, there's that. We're J.K. Rowling. We're talking about J.K. Rowling. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, I do think, you know, not to not to stress this point too much, but I think it is interesting that uh, Catholicism plays such a public role in these books, and if and when that dovetails into her political leanings. Um, because in the first three episodes, the church is kind of this, like, horrible, oppressive force, yeah. Um, you know, you have this like very sanctimonious, very fire and brimstone priest who refuses to look women in the eyes and won't let her, you know, give a poison antidote to this kid because he thinks he's possessed by a demon. So there's this like disdain of superstition and embrace of rationality, but there's all mm -hmm. there also seems to be like a true um appreciation for like genuine religious feeling. Um I think is interesting yeah i don't the books 
what am I trying to say here? What I'm trying to say here is the show has the benefit of being made after all of the books had been published that were available to read at that point. So they, uh, the showrunners, I have to imagine, understood what the trajectory of these characters was going to be, and they also knew what things they wanted to diverge from. Like, I think it's notable that, perhaps not successfully, um, but the show has tried to, like, amend some of the racist language of the books, um, you know, and maybe one of the things they're also trying to amend is, it's a little bit more of, like, a light touch, fuzzed out view of spirituality, maybe, I don't know. Um, I haven't really given that part super a lot. So the books are, before. the books are a little bit more dogmatic? No, it, I mean... The books are a little bit more clear about Claire being a character who doesn't have a religious feeling for the first three books, but then through her marriage with Jamie, um, kind of oh, she converts. That feeling. Interesting. She doesn't. She doesn't really convert. I don't know that there's like an official conversion. She just starts finding solace in book eight Catholic things. Right of Christian initiation for adults. <laughs> Should we? I'm and this note. here, then? <laughs> Wait, sure. do, your, do your Scottish... I did not know what he was coming here to say to me. I cannot see. Uh -huh. I cannot uh -huh. see what you were trying to tell me about haggis. Haggis. I should read his sentence. Sing me a song, This is kind of yeah. a banging theme song, I will say that. It's like, I, yeah, the theme song is hits really me right good. My, also, it changes every season. Ah, yeah. nice. It's me right in my sweet spot for, like, wist, wistful, wistful uh, British, Scottish, Irish folk music. Anyway, I don't know if we have to include that, okay. because I don't want people to hate me, even more than they probably already do having let's just listen to this episode. Oh, for one, The whole purpose of this show is to plug <laughs> and promote the late, the great Stan Rogers. Oh, okay. All right. We good? I do want to say that I love you. And I miss you. I love you and miss you too. See you in the Jacobite Rebellion. Adios. That's Scottish for goodbye. Hi, folks. Thanks for listening. Just a couple notes. At one point during this episode, I said that Claire is cosplaying as a 17th century nurse. She's in fact playing as a 18th century nurse because Olander said in the 18th century. So just a just a correction there for everybody who may be keeping track at home. I also want to say that next week, Ian and I will be talking about Lord's new album, Solar Power. Talking about her previous catalog, what we think of the music in general, and how we found this album should be harmonious. See you then.